The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hello there and welcome to you if you're vegan or pre-vegan or just uh, browsing Unity Online Radio to see what's being offered. We're so happy that you've decided to spend some time with us and we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful girl party today and you are totally welcome to join if you're a guy too. We're all for the the co-ed. It just so happens that right here Around my dining room table in beautiful uptown Manhattan, I am being joined by Maya Gottfried, who has a fabulous new book out called Vegan Love, Dating and Partnering for the Cruelty-Free Gal with Fashion, Makeup, and Wedding Tips. Ah, ha, ha. So don't go, guys. If you want to snag a vegan lady, maybe you can pick up some tips here, too. But before we get into dating and marriage and love and all those things... We're going to be talking, uh, Maya and I, with our first guest, Carol Cox. Carol Cox is the founder of Speaking Your Brand. So she helps high-performing, purpose-driven women entrepreneurs and professionals shape their business and personal brands. Now, she herself is a podcaster, a TEDx speaker, and a sought-after presenter and trainer on public speaking and branding and leadership. And you know what else she does? This is so cool. She goes on TV during election season, and she's one of those pundits who interprets politicians is that cool well yeah and she's also a vegan and she went through the main street vegan academy program i am very proud to say so we're going to be talking today about speaking and why animal activists and people in vegan businesses should uh, start feeling comfortable doing that and then carol's going to come back in a few weeks and she's going to talk more about the how so let me greet each of these lovely women in turn maya gottfried good afternoon Hey, it's so great to be here. (laughs) Well, it's wonderful to be here. It always feels really special when somebody shows up in three dimensions. And hey there, Carol down there in Florida. Hi, Victoria. It's so nice to hear your voice. Pleasure being on your show today. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you also for this special page that you have created so that listeners of this podcast can download a free PDF of your step-by-step presentation framework. And I'm going to put that on the show notes. I'll say it too, but don't worry if you're jogging or walking your dog or driving your car. It will be at MainStreetVegan.net on the show notes. But this page that you can go to is speakingyourbrand.com slash MainStreetVegan. That's pretty easy. Uh, And you can uh, get something really helpful for your own speaking presentations and carrying this message far and wide. So, 
Carol, why do we need to care as as activists? What what's the impact of live speaking? Victoria, I'm sure you've experienced this yourself because you are a fabulous speaker and you, I know you go all around the country and the world speaking, but there's something about face-to-face, heart-to-heart that builds that trust and that connection with people in your audience. And I was thinking back on my own vegan journey, which started in about 2011, and one of the first things I did was I went to VegFest and I heard speakers there at presentations and I listened to podcasts from vegans who were talking about all types of different, their own journeys, vegan nutrition, uh, animal rights, things like that. And so being able to talk, whether it's in person or it's on podcasts like we're doing today, really can change the hearts and minds of so many people. Hey, it's Maya. I have a question for you. So, um, so that makes sense that it's important for the activists to do that. But what is the impact that they have um, speaking live and sharing the message and raising awareness? Well, especially with speaking live. So whether you want to do presentations at VegFest or you want to do a presentation at the company that you work for or you have your own business, whether it's a coaching business or a product business, and you want to reach people, is that we know that communication is actually not so much the words that we say. It's really our body language. It's our tone of voice. It's our inflection. And when you're sitting down with someone or they're in the audience and you can pick up on their cues and they can pick up on your cues. Again, you're building that connection and that trust and that empathy. And I think that's what really we need in this world. Victoria, you mentioned I do political analysis during election seasons and oh boy, for, you know, based on what's going on right now, we need a lot more empathy going all the way around. Oh, that's so true. I think sometimes that people don't disagree as much as we think we do we just don't really know how to communicate. Sometimes I feel my best communication is with my dog and he doesn't talk at all. Absolutely. And, you know, social media is great to, to be able to spread your message, but you know, you can't have nuanced discussions on a Facebook post or on a, on a Twitter thread. You really need to, to be with someone and talking with them either one-on-one or a or one-to-group environment. I was told several years ago, just as the Internet was becoming what it is today, that there's some British futurist, whose name I don't remember, who said the value of content is rapidly being replaced by the value of breathing the same air. And I think of that so often when I look at what it costs here in New York City, at least, to go to a Broadway show, to go to a Yankees game. People spend so much to be in that experience, even when, in the case of the baseball game, they could watch it on TV. Yeah, you're you're exactly right, Victoria. And as we see more and more jobs being automated and robots coming in, which is going to happen probably sooner than we think, people will place a premium on that human-to-human connection. And just like writing is a skill and marketing is a skill, public speaking is a skill that really more of us should develop because it's going to be in more and more demand. And I see that with the clients that come to me to help them with their presentations, whether it's for their business or they want to do a TEDx talk, they understand the value of being able to share their big idea, their message with a larger audience. Hey, it's Maya again. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, why is it important for activists to feel comfortable with speaking? uh, And how do they do that without coming across as preachy? Yes, that's a great question. So I am, so I'm working with a couple of women right now who actually are also alumni of the Main Street Vegan Academy, like I am. So it's a wonderful group of people. And that's one of the things that they feel challenged with as well, because when we get so passionate and convicted, we want to just shout from the rooftops about what we've learned. I know we all go through those stages when we first became vegan. We're so excited and we want everyone to know what we've learned, but we have to realize that everyone is on, is in a different place in their own journey. Just like we took our own journey at our own pace, the audience and the people you're talking with as well, they're in a different place on their journey. So that's one of the great things about having, being able to have a 20 minute presentation or a 20 minute podcast conversation is that you can ask questions back and forth. You can get a sense of where the audience is at in their journey and then tweak your presentation to fit that. So, because if you try to share something with the audience is not ready for that yet, they're going to kind of turn a deaf, tune a deaf ear because they're just not there at that place yet. So it's really important to understand 
that you are ultimately serving the audience with your message. And Victoria, you did a, you do a great job with that because I've seen you pr- speak live several times now, and you'll poll the audience at the beginning to ask them to get a sense of who is who makes up the audience. Are they already vegan? Are they just interested in learning about it for the first time? And I see that you will change your presentation depending on the feedback that you're getting. Well, Carol, with people who want to speak, they want to learn and they call you and and they get help from you or they go to Toastmasters or they do what they need to do to get into this. But there are so many people who are passionate about the cause and they would rather stand in front of a bus than get up in front of people. Should they just do their activism in some other way or should they too try to learn how to speak in public? So there's many different schools of thought on this. I will say that if you really have an aversion to public speaking and you have no interest in it whatsoever, then don't do it. There are so many other ways to share your message. You may be a fantastic writer and that may be your talent and your gift and you should write and not try to to do something that is nothing that, that you're interested in. Now, on the other hand, if public speaking is something that you're uncomfortable with, maybe you don't have a lot of practice with it or you're not sure where to start, but it's something that you are interested in getting better at, that's a whole different thing. And then you can definitely work on getting better. But if you just know that it is not in your 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 tool set, your skill set to do that, then I would say definitely use the talents and gifts that you have in the way that makes the most sense for you. So I have a question that's sort of along the same lines. Um, I, you know, I do some public speaking and I get a lot of stage fright. And I was wondering what your recommendations are for dealing with stage fright and if that energy can ever be turned into something positive, like can you sort of harness that stage fright to do something good? Yes, that's a great question. And I, you know, when I get up on stage, I still get butterflies in my stomach because I know that I'm I'm going to be putting myself in a position where all eyes are on me. It's kind of a vulnerable position. You're putting yourself out there and you're sharing a message that you feel very strongly about. And so you're it's normal to feel a little nervous. I will say that the more you do it, the the easier it gets, and especially the more regular you do it. So I recommend to people starting out, try to at least do some type of live speaking engagement every month for as many months in a row as you can. It can be in small groups of 10 people. It can be groups of 50 people, whatever is available to you, because just that regular that regularity of doing it will get you more comfortable. Now, as far as turning that the, those nerves, try, you can do some warm-up exercises. You can do power poses to try to channel that energy. But I just like to remind myself that I'm there to serve the audience. They don't expect me to be perfect. They just want to hear my experiences and my stories and the information that I'm there to share with them. Wow, that's really interesting. Well, and you wrote something like that, Carol, for the Main Street Vegan blog. I'll link to that on the show notes as well, where you talked about the most important person in the room is not the speaker. It is just any given Joe you pull out of the audience. This is really about the listeners. Can you expound on that? Sure. Yeah, that was. A, I really enjoyed writing that blog post because a lot of the work that I do with speaking your brand and like the presentation framework that I've created that you mentioned at the beginning, Victoria, is based on Joseph Campbell's work on the hero's journey. So if you've seen the movie Star Wars or The Matrix, that is the hero's journey. And so what I like to remind speakers is that you are not the hero in this case. Your audience is the hero. You're the guide. You're Yoda helping the audience along their journey. So you're helping them get past those obstacles or those questions that you have, that they have, so that they can get to that reward point that they want, whether it's in their life, their career, or their health. That's That would help with the stage fright, I think, too. Yeah. Because it's all of a sudden that it's, you know, it's not, oh, my gosh, everybody's looking at me. It's, right. Just, I, just imagine you're Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than imagining that your audience is naked. <laughs> yeah, that, that never worked for me. <laughs> well, one thing that I like to do is make friends, and this doesn't work in every, you know, very formal keynote kind of presentation with white tablecloths, it probably wouldn't work. But in most of the kinds of, of uh, venues for, for which I speak, and I think probably a, a lot of the listeners who are doing vegan business or vegan activism, there's an opportunity to talk to some of the audience members on the way in and just find out who they are and what they want 
And not only does that make a connection with them, but you have friends in the audience then. Absolutely. Yeah. I call it warming up the audience and you're really also warming up yourself because just like you said, Victoria, you're seeing those faces now out in the audience and a lot of them will be smiling at you or encouraging you and they feel like now they have a personal connection with you. So they're going to be much more engaged with what you're saying and then you can refer back to them in your speech. So I was just talking to Victoria before we got started and she said this and which is such a great point and then you can go on from there. Mm, Very nice. And what do you do sometimes when you're presenting on animal rights issues? um, Sometimes you'll get sort of an antagonistic remark or someone will just be slightly negative in the question that they ask. And do you have any tips for people on how to handle those, um, those questions that, you know, are sort of challenging you on your points? Yeah, so this can be really tough, especially for people who are new to doing this, because it's always tricky to handle situations like that. So I go back to my time in politics, and I like to try to put a positive spin on everything, because that's what I was trained to do. So I will try to take their question, and instead of answering a negative with a negative, try to to make it positive in some way, and then I will offer to talk to them one-on-one after the presentation is over because we know there are those people who really end up wanting to kind of put their own agenda into it and you don't want them to take a lot of time because the audience doesn't like that so then offer to speak with them one-on-one after the presentation is done and just address their question briefly and how do you see it carol when somebody is talking about a controversial subject and, and certainly in a general audience, this is one. You know, you have some people thinking that you're trying to get them to eat something that their mother didn't tell them to eat. You're getting other people, they, they take it as you're saying, I'm a kind person and I love animals and, you know, you're not. And it, so there can be this antagonism. And I think sometimes the speaker leaves a presentation knowing that even doing the best that they could Not everybody loves them. How do we deal with knowing that we're not going to get across to everybody? Yeah, and this is especially hard for us as women because our society and culture, we really are brought up to be people pleasers. To, to want everyone to like us. I know that I've worked on myself on this, my, you know, during my own journey. And I think we have to get to a point where our message is not for everyone and we have to be okay with that. There may be an audience of 20 people or 50 people. And if you just plant a seed and a few of them, that's enough. And that's what I take away because I don't, I look at it. I don't see that we're there to necessarily get them to change their mind on the spot because you can't force someone to change. But what you're there is to share your personal journey, what matters to you. And then they can see themselves in you if that's a good fit for them. And if you've planted those seeds, then maybe the next person they go hear speak is what finally uh, gets them that, that turning point in their life. But you never know if it's you. You could be the third person they heard talk about this topic, the 10th or the very first. So I like to think of it as planting seeds for for future growth. That's fascinating. And and what great training for that, that you got starting out in politics, because <laughs> you know that <laughs> half the people or some percentage are going to see things a different way. So Carol, this has been a wonderful introduction that we're going to continue on May 17th at the live stream then. So we'll be putting that up on Facebook and all around and about. So everybody who listens today Download Carol Cox's free PDF of her step-by-step presentation format. That's at speakingyourbrand.com slash MainStreetVegan. And also check out Carol's podcast, Speaking Your Brand. And when we come back next time, we'll talk about some speaking techniques and also how to be a fabulous podcast guest like my guest today. Thank you so much, Carol. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. We'll talk next month. All right. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And everybody else, stay with us because we're going to get dating and falling in love right after this. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. 
you can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. Such a pleasure to have you with us. If you're New to all things Main Street Vegan, please check us out over at MainStreetVegan.net where we have all kinds of fun things going on. We do have a blog over there that a couple of things actually went up on this week. First, we have a test your vegan IQ quiz uh, that that some uh, friends have, have put together and that's kind of fun. You can see how, how smart a vegan you are. And then there's also a post from Jen Gannett on vegan travel. Jen and her family have just completed about 14 months of traveling the world. I mean, literally, you just pick a planet and you go around it. That's what they did as a vegan family. And so there are lots of tips there if you have some wanderlust. And if you happen to be in the New York City area Tomorrow evening, if you are listening live, I'm talking April 20th, 2017, I'm going to be on a panel with Mr. Brian Kateman and a couple of other people who wrote essays for Brian's book called Reducitarian. Now, you might recall my talking about that a while back because I got in some trouble, some of my fellow vegans, and God bless them, I love every vegan and I wish everybody were one, uh, didn't like it that I had aligned myself with some folks who are trying to help people come into this who aren't ready to leap over a giant wall and become vegan. They're just kind of ready to maybe move in this direction. So I have an essay in that book, and so do a lot of wonderful people that I totally admire. So you might want to take a look at it. And if you're in New York, stop in tomorrow night at Strand Books. It's always wonderful, as we were saying in the first segment, to see people in three dimensions. So without further ado, I'm going to tell you more about Maya Gottfried. She has contributed to outlets ranging from People Online to Veg News to Lilith Magazine, and she's the author of award-winning books for children, including Our Farm, 
by the animals of farm sanctuary. And let us not skip lightly over this. If you are a parent or a grandparent or you know somebody with kids and the kids have a birthday, this is the sweetest book. I mean, and it's a beautiful book. You know, there are a lot of vegan books out there, and this happens to be one that is both lovely and and tactily beautiful and visually beautiful, Our Farm by Maya Gottfried. But we're here today to talk about vegan love, dating and partnering for the cruelty-free gal. This is Maya's brand new book for adults that just is hot off the presses. Mm -hmm. Welcome again. Hi, thank you. Thank you for such a wonderful introduction. It's Uh, great to be here. This this book is so cute. (laughs) One thing I like about it, when I was looking for it in the bookshelf, you said, it's turquoise. (laughs) Of course, it's turquoise. And most books like this would be pink. Right. And yours isn't. Yeah. And that just says, this is a book for real women, contemporary women, who really want to get things done. And it's very inclusive of, you know, all women, not just you know, the stereotypes or whatever. It's all, all women. So what caused you to want to turn your literary attention to this topic? So it was a really interesting journey for me. I had written only children's books previously, but I had written a lot of articles online about vegan and animal rights issues. Um, and I wrote one when I had, um, I had gotten back into the dating scene after going through cancer and cancer treatments. And I was a new vegan and um, and I got into the dating scene, um, mostly meeting people online through a dating website, which is how so many of us meet people these days. Um, and I had been writing for the Huffington Post, so I decided to write an article about my experiences, um, which included uh, beginning to date as a new vegan, being told by more than one person that I should hide my veganism. And like, and we were talking with Carol a little bit about that about women being, you know, discouraged from being themselves entirely. Um, so I was discouraged from from telling people I was vegan, and that was a lot of what this article I wrote was about, about realizing that this was a really important and beautiful part of me and that I shouldn't be hiding it and that I was going to be an out and proud vegan. Um, and it was incredible the response I got to the article. I mean, clearly there was a need for this discussion. People weren't talking about it, but it was something that was on a lot of people's minds. So I was like, I'm going to write a book about this. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. And you Thank interview, you. you don't just come from your own experience on this. You've got, what, 30 women that you interviewed? Yeah, more than 30 women. And in some cases, they're partners, too. Um, like Jane Blaise Mitchell, I spoke with, and her partner, Donna Dennison. Um, yeah, it was really important to me. I felt that when you're trying to get at the truth, The truth doesn't just come from your own experience. The truth comes from everybody's experience. So I was trying to get at that collective wisdom by speaking with a lot of people and a a diverse group of people, people from all different walks of life. Um, So I set out to do that, and it was an incredible journey. I learned so much. I mean, going into this project, I thought... um, I thought there might be some funny stories. I thought there'd be a lot of dating disasters. Um, and what I learned is that when we come at life with love, that love is generally what we get in return. And um, and when we don't receive love, we just gently, you know, let that person go. But I have to say, you know, with with almost all of the women I spoke to, they shared that when they were positive and loving and kind, that that was what they received from omnivores and vegans alike. That is good advice for people who are married or not looking or (laughs) anybody else. So very good. So why, why is it so hard? I mean, I hear from a lot of vegan women, even in New York city, which is pretty good city for vegans. I also see, and I'm just basing this on my students who come to Main Street Vegan Academy, they're they're almost all women. Right. (laughs) It's just, why are we such a one gender heavy movement? That's a really great question. Um, I don't have a, a 
black and white answer for it. Um, I feel that women in many cases are raised to be more responsive to their feelings and um, men are often raised to turn away from their feelings and act according to who they're supposed to be and not like, you know, reaching inside themselves and responding. I feel like men and women both have a lot of compassion for animals and deep down they do have that connection with animals, both, you know, men and women. Um, but I feel like as women, we are more responsive often to our feelings and act on it and stop eating animals and stop eating animal products um, because we weren't raised with this idea to not show our feelings like, men, you know, like men often are mm-hmm. socialized that mm-hmm. way. Um, but in dating and dating and partnering, um, I think the difficulties you know, when, when I hear women say, oh, it's so hard to find a partner, you know, some, some, in some cases with vegan women, um, we have this checklist that (laughs) is really hard to fulfill, you know, and then this is the thing. Like when I was dating, I kind of stayed open to everybody, vegan, omnivore, vegetarian. And, um, I, I can, I, uh, in one case I started talking with someone who was vegan just online. Um, and in one case I went on a date with someone who was vegan and I didn't really connect with those people. And to me when dating and partnering, and this was the case for most of the women I spoke with too, for all the women I spoke with, it's the connection that counts. And someone can fulfill every checkbox on that checklist and they're not necessarily going to be someone you can connect with. So it may be hard to find a partner when you're trying to just fulfill that checklist, because you may never feel like you found him because, you know, or her, because you're just not finding that connection. Um, But if you just respond to your feelings, just as you did when you became vegan, you were responding to your feelings. If you respond to your feelings about a person, um, then you're more likely to, to meet your match. Mm. Well, it seems that there are several kinds of, of matchups that vegans get involved with. Certainly, it can be with another vegan or with a vegetarian. That's pretty easy. Or an understanding, open-minded omnivore, and people set up things like, we'll keep the house vegan or, you know, whatever. Different things work for different people. And then there are some people, and I think this is usually people who are already in a partnership when they discover veganism and the other person is completely not on board, and that can cause some, some real trouble. So how, how did you talk to women in these different kinds of situations? Yeah, I talked to a few women who were vegans, living they, who were living with omnivores at some point, though I have to say a lot of these omnivores eventually came around. I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of the omnivores eventually became either vegetarian or vegan, but, um, but I did speak with them about the time when um, they were a vegan and an omnivore living together. Um, and it's really interesting. I feel that it's, it's, this comes up in dating too. For vegans, a lot of the time our worst, you know, problem is our own fear and insecurity and that can cause us to come across as a little antagonistic or fearful when we're trying to communicate with a partner and if we sit down with our partner and in a very loving way explain to them you know oh it makes me um i feel uh uncomfortable cooking my pots cooking my food and pots that were used to cook animal products, maybe we can together think of a way, you know, to solve the situation. Can we get another set of pots, you know, that I can cook my food in? If we speak about it in a kind way, I think we'll find that our partners who love us, Mm -hmm. they don't want us to feel bad. They don't want us to feel uncomfortable in our own home. You know, then we can come to some solutions that are going to make this easier for everybody. Um, It's when, we come at the situation in a defensive antagonistic way that it will be harder to find a solution. Mm -hmm. I think there's also the idea that if you see the light, you expect everybody else needs sunglasses. It's like, you know, come on, don't you see this? Don't you see this? But we didn't see it until we saw it. So uh, it can be a little, little bit tricky. Oh, my goodness. And this is bringing back memories for me because I always dated 
at least vegetarians, and they also needed to be spiritual, ideally. And I thought that was my checklist, you know, two out of two, vegetarian and spiritual. And yet it didn't work out with those people. So finally I just said, okay, I have been single for nine years, and I'm in my 40s, and so it's probably hopeless. Da-da-da, buying into a societal myth that doesn't have to be true, but anyway, that was how I saw it. So it's like, since I'm not going to get married or anything anyway, why don't I just date a regular omnivore? And I found this guy, and he ate meat, and he had a real job with health insurance, and he lived in a suburb. So it was just like, oh my gosh, this is an alien. And we fell in love. And two weeks after we met, he stopped eating meat. And I thought the vegan thing would never happen. But about four years in, he dropped milk. And a few years after that, he dropped the cheese pizzas that he would order when I was out of town because he didn't know how to cook. And now he's like super vegan. So these things can happen. And it happens so much. I mean, this is what I learned writing the book. It was such a a beautiful thing to see was over and over again when I spoke with vegan women who um, dated and partnered with omnivores, those omnivores moved in a vegan direction. And it happened sometimes just on a date. The omnivore date would order a vegan meal because they didn't want to offend the woman or um, it would happen after people had moved in together. I mean, JL Fields, mm-hmm. who you have a book coming out with. Yes. Um, she has a wonderful story about just, she was very accepting of her husband, you know, not being vegan. And she just believed that everyone has, has their moment. And he did, he had his moment and he went vegan. Um, and these aren't just like, random cases. I mean, this happens a lot. Vegan love really spreads, Aww. you know. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And and I think that kind of gives us as vegans in romantic relationships and every kind of relationship more of an obligation to really be open. Yes. Yeah. And what I found um, speaking with all these women was for the most part, they did this by just living an example of a happy, healthy vegan. And when their partners had questions, they gently delivered the information, but they weren't so much trying to turn their partners vegan. It wasn't like they were, you know, because no one really wants to be told what to do by their partner. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe once in a while, but for the most part, you don't want to be told you're doing something wrong by the person you love. So the way that that these situations changed was in most cases that the vegan and the relationship was just living an example of a happy vegan and sharing what they knew in a gentle way and the omnivores moved in Aww. a kind direction. Well, tell us your story. I, I know that you have Dietrich and he is vegan mm-hmm. and you have three adopted cats. Yes. So was he vegan when you met? No, he was vegetarian. Um, it was funny. I had been dating online and getting very frustrated with it. I was, I, I was like, I want to switch and just meet people in person. But I did one last search. Um, I searched vegetarians. That was one of my searches that I would do. And um, and he came up. I hadn't seen his photo before. I hadn't seen his profile come up before. And I just, I had this instinct that you know that that um, that thought. You know, just look at his profile, but don't contact him. And he saw that I looked at his profile and he reached out to me and we started dating. Um, and I mean, we were only dating about a week before he was a ve- long time vegetarian. He had been vegetarian for about 30 years. Wow. Uh, much longer than I was vegan, by the way, he had saved many more lives than I <laughs> was a vegan. And, um, and yeah, on one of our first dates, he asked me why not dairy? What's wrong with dairy? And I just, very gently kind of explained it to him in a very level way. And he was like, that's terrible. And he went vegan. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so then now we're, now we're two vegans, but I didn't have a a checklist. I, you know, I had been going out with omnivores too. Um, and, uh, and we just connected for a number of reasons. We both loved cats and I had the, I had two at the time and he didn't have any. So he loved hanging out with my cats he loved abstract expressionist painting. And so did I like, 
I love classical music, but didn't know a lot about it. And he has like an encyclopedic knowledge of classical music. So, you know, it was the overall connection. And then the veganism just kind of happened Mm -hmm. too. And it's great. I love it now. I love coming into our home and knowing it's a vegan household and that, um, you know, we love the same restaurants. It's so much fun deciding what restaurant to go to together because we, you know, we're both going to want to go to like a great vegan restaurant. Um, and our cats have, are, you know, are our children basically. And, um, two of them were, um, were my cats that I came to the relationship with. And he is so wonderful with them. He's such a cat man. He volunteered at, um, an animal shelter for a long time with the cats. And, um, yeah, it's it's just the whole package, everything about it, and um, the the having veganism in common adds to it, but it's not the core of our relationship. Mm. So, did you find many women who needed to go out of their geographic area to find true love? Um, hmm, trying to think, I think most of the women I spoke with um, dated pretty local. I okay. think it, it was pretty local. Um, but a few of them, I think, met people like at events, maybe. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it really depends where you live. It just seems in some ways, it seems so mystical when you think about how any two people get together. Mm -hmm. And so often people find one another and they were born in different parts of the world, or sometimes they grew up two blocks from each other and didn't meet till they were 30. It's really interesting. And I think if one just kind of has that sort of attitude of we're in the realm of magic here, mm-hmm. maybe the vegan thing is just another little part. I really feel that way. I feel this book was a spiritual book. It was really learning about whatever you want to call it, the universe at work, serendipity, higher power. There are so many words for it, but it, it's really about that. Mm. And it was so driven home for me when I saw this pattern happening of, you know, the omnivores moving in a vegan direction who were involved with the vegan, because it was really showing that love spreads, which is this message that we're always hearing, but it's hard to see evidence about it, especially in a world that's so as conflicted as the one we're in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so wonderful to see that it was true that love does spread. Oh, oh, I love how you think. And I love how you write. And this book is just delightful. Thank you. I want to talk a little bit while I still have you about um, the other couple of parts that this book has, which a, a lot of dating kinds of books would not get into, but it makes so much sense in a vegan book. So you're talking about the vegan beauty and the cosmetics mm-hmm. and stuff and also about vegan weddings. So on the cosmetic section, have you had any flack from people saying, why do women have to look so good? <laughs> no, I haven't. But I do, I'll be first. <laughs> I do say in a couple of places in the book, you know, maybe makeup isn't for you. Like mm-hmm. I, I consider makeup opt-in. You know, it's not for every woman. Like some women, you know, would feel like they had a pancake on their face, like if they wore makeup. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying basically like, I, I love makeup personally. I have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, me too. So yeah. Um, so, you know, I put it in there for those of us who do love yes. it, but you know what? Like if you don't love it, like that's fine too. That's yeah. who you are. So yeah. You can skip a couple of chapters and just date. Yeah. Just skip that chapter. So the whole thing with vegan products uh, in, you know, the toiletries and the cosmetics Gets complex Mm because things are always changing. Mm -hmm. I read just last week in USA Today that there is a bill before Congress actually submitted by a person from the Republican side of the aisle to ban cosmetic testing on live animals in the United States, as they've already done in in the EU. That would just change everything. But, of course, we don't know uh, what will happen so what's your best way to keep up on what's cruelty-free? Oh, it's so complicated. And, you know, you see that label cruelty-free on a cosmetics and it's like on a cosmetic and it's like loaded. It's like, okay, does this label come from a reputable source? Because there are established cruelty-free stamps and there are, and then there are companies that just say it on their product and like, what does it mean? And, um, then we think, I mean, cruelty-free generally, and in my book, I usually use cruelty-free to mean vegan and not tested on animals, but cruelty-free on a cosmetic generally means that it wasn't tested on animals, but it may contain animal products. 
so yeah, it's so complicated. Um, so, so this is what I do. Um, I use the PETA. PETA has a wonderful guide, um, to, you know, what's cruelty free and what's vegan and cruelty free. So I, I, I defer to that a lot. Um, but I also go to the cosmetics company's websites and check them regularly. Like if I'm planning a shopping trip to Sephora, let's say, you know, I'll plan what I want to get in advance. So I'll go to the Kat Von D website and find out which of her products are vegan, which are a lot of them. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll go to the Tarte website and find out which of their products are vegan because their websites are pretty up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, there's a great guide in the book to the different labels. Yes, it's, that's a wonder. There's a chart, so you can actually see what yeah, the labels and I, look like. I just want to say how grateful I am to those various organizations like PETA and um, and the uh, the Vegan Society who granted me permission, you know, to use their labels in the book to, uh, to share with people what they mean so they can use it. You know, you can take the book with you in your handbag. It's not that big a book. <laughs> and you can just, like, look at the chart while you're shopping. Yes. Um but, um, yeah, it's like a combination of looking at the labels and, you know, doing research online in advance is great. And, you know, like Elf, like makeup is all vegan. So you can go to the Elf store and just go crazy and get everything and yeah. you're fine. Yeah. yeah. We, we always go to an Elf store during Main Street Vegan Academy because uh, I don't know if they have this actual freestanding stores uh, outside New York City. Oh, oh I suppose right. they do somewhere. Yeah. But, but ELF, you know. Neither of us works for them. We're not doing an ad. It's just the cool thing is it's fun. It's very cheap. For $25 in product, they will do your makeup. That's what I did for myself this year for my birthday. And their little shops, at least here, are like little tiny Sephora's. But you know that you could buy anything that was in it. And and they're also in in drugstores. It's very different. I mean, I remember when we tried to make this stuff out of Crisco and food coloring it was not pretty. So, yeah. And that's, yeah, that was one of the points too, is that, um, you know, some people think the word vegan implies deprivation, but the truth is that there's such an abundance Mm -hmm. of wonderful vegan makeup products, vegan shoes, vegan handbags. And, um, and I wanted to convey that in the book that it's, it's not deprivation, it's abundance. Yes. And you get to feel good because you're not hurting anyone. Absolutely. Well, let's just spend our last few minutes on vegan weddings, which is a topic close to my heart <laughs> because uh, my wedding to William was vegan. We were out in Kansas City, which is a great vegan town now. At that time, not so much. So we had our uh, wedding pastries flown in by FedEx from Sacred Chow here in New York City. And my friend Elizabeth Simons uh, drove 200 miles with a vegan cake. She is not herself vegan, but she's a great baker and she made the cake. And, you know, it was just so sweet. And then some years later, we're in New York City and my daughter meets her own true love. And there is another vegan wedding uh, with a great story. There's a great vegan bakery out in Pennsylvania. What's it called? Vegan Treats. Vegan Treats. And so I sent William out to pick up the cakes. And he came back. And we're talking a big drive. Mm -hmm. And they were chocolate. And I have this idea that wedding cakes for one's only (laughs) daughter need to be white. So William drives back to Pennsylvania and gets the white cakes. And the lovely bakers said, I'm sorry, we can't take the other ones back. Just have both. And to this day, people talk about, oh, the cake was so fabulous. (laughs) Every color. So so let's just say somebody is looking at getting married. What do they do first? Well, okay. So first you need to find a venue, right? And um, there's... So it's this is a little different if you're vegan because with the tr- more traditional halls like a like a hotel say or like a botanical garden where they have these big event spaces a lot of the times um these establishments have a built-in caterer that you have to work with if you work with them. So even though you might be like, "Oh, I'll have my reception at this hotel hall, but I'll use my awesome vegan restaurant, like that's not always going to work. So the best thing to do, I spoke with a couple of brides who did this, who filled me in on this. Um, They went to their tastings and 
the tastings were not that impressive. And the tastings where you're going to sample the food that's going to be served at the wedding. Um, so in these cases, the, the tastings weren't great. And the thing is, is that if a tasting, which is food for two people, if that's not very good, then it's, it's really not going to be good when it's for a hundred. Mm-hmm. Um, so what these women did was they took their favorite vegan cookbooks and they spoke to the chefs and they were like, could you use recipes from the, this cookbook? And they, and they, you know, they used really fancy cookbooks, mm-hmm. you know, so it's appropriate for a wedding. And the chefs in, in these different cases were really happy to try to accommodate the bridal couple. Um, they were interested in rising to the challenge, learning something new. So uh, it was a growth experience for everyone. You know, open communication, it's like a good thing. So so that really worked out. So if you're working with a big, you know, traditional kind of venue, like that's a really good way to go. And that's that's the first step. Um, but with cakes, it's really interesting. I spoke with one bride who got married a really long time ago before there was like an abundance of vegan cakes. And, um, and she, she and her family baked it themselves. Aww. They all pitched in and baked vegan cake, you know, sheets and sheets <laughs> of vegan cake. Um, they, and they were out in the middle of nowhere. Like they were not going to get their hands on, you know, a vegan cake from a bakery. But what's really interesting now is, um, Aaron McKenna's bakery, mm-hmm. um, which then they also do gluten free. Mm-hmm. So, um, they will ship the parts of a cake anywhere in the country. Wow. So no matter where you are, you can get an Aaron McKenna's cake. And then you just have your caterer assemble it, like, on site. So I thought that was awesome. That's brilliant. That's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, all this in weddings, too. Yeah. And um, I went to, I came across some amazing, like, bridal gowns are traditionally built of silk, mm-hmm. you know, which is not vegan. Mm-hmm. And um, for me, my fantasy dresses were always Vera Wang dresses. Yeah. So beautiful. So when I was researching... Um, the book I called the Vera Wang Boutique. <laughs> I was like, do you have any non-silk dresses? And they were like, no. And the custom dresses start very, very expensive. So, I mean, you know, if you have unending amounts of money to spend on your wedding, yes, you may be able to obtain a custom-made vegan Vera Wang dress. You can have that discussion with them. Um, but there's some amazing smaller designers who will make, um, any of their dresses vegan. I came across Tara Lynn Bridal, who makes the most beautiful, um, a lot of her dresses have colorful embroidery. So if you want some color in your, in your vegan dress, like, um, she's, she just, just beautiful work. And, um, she does suits too, um, which are appropriate either for a woman who feels more comfortable in a suit or a man. Um, and... Um, the cotton bride was another wonderful option that they'll make any of their dresses, um, in, in cotton or, you know, other non-vegan fabrics. So there's some really wonderful options, you know, if you're willing to sort of step back and rethink things just the way we do with food, right? We have to like let go of some old ideas. Like I'm going to let go of that Vera Wang fantasy. And now I'm like super excited. Like if I get married, I definitely want to get married in a Tara Lynn dress. Her dresses uh, are amazing. Oh, it's wonderful. I think the whole vegan shopping experience, I mean, a lot of people like to shop. And the idea that you can add to, oh, it's really fun. I'm actually investing in a company that shares my values and is making the world better. Yeah, exactly. It's like not only there is there an abundance of wonderful options, but you feel good. Yeah. And, and like a company like Carolyn Bridal, like she makes all of her dresses in her studio in Vermont. It's like completely ethically made. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so exciting. So we have a minute left. Do you have a last word on love, etc. cetera? Um, by the book, by the book, vegan love and, and, um, yeah, enjoy the collective wisdom of all these amazing vegan women and their partners. It's, um, it's really incredible to read their stories. Oh, and Maya, you are a real inspiration and, and a thank classy, you. classy lady. Oh, thank I, you so I just much. am so I feel happy <laughs> to, to know you and to have you as, as part of this movement and this work. Maya Gottfried, the book is Vegan Love, Dating and Partnering for the Cruelty-Free Gal. And also, guys and gals, be sure to get your PDF of Carol Cox's speaking presentation framework 
go to speakingyourbrand.com dash or not dash slash hmm, Main Street Vegan and uh, our show notes at MainStreetVegan.net. Thanks to Jeff Comfort, our engineer. Thanks to Unity Online Radio for hosting this program for, oh my goodness, almost five years. We need to have a party and get a vegan cake. (laughs) Everybody, thank you so much. God bless you. Eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Never before in the history of humankind has change been so rapid. Jobs of yesterday are disappearing, and new careers are being discovered. Where competition once prevailed, there is now a pioneering spirit of cooperation and creativity. It has been said, real learning comes about when competition has ceased. When we release limiting ideas and fears, we are then free from the competitive living and the way is open for cooperation and harmonious living. By relaxing, letting go, and renewing your faith in positive and good outcomes in all affairs, you can make a harmonious difference in your ever-changing world. This message has been brought to you by the Association of Unity Churches International. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org. At Metaphysical Rock 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.